before we hear the psalm that is our focus tonight, Glenn will uh, lead us in that. But it's a, it's a psalm with a context, a story behind it. And we're going to hear something of the story that lies behind the psalm. And we'll hear a bit read in a moment. But what has happened so far is that David, who is king, has seen a woman who he likes, he wants. She's someone else's wife, but he summons her and sleeps with her. A few weeks later, a message is sent to him from the woman, Bathsheba, that she's pregnant. And David wants to cover up what he's done. He wants to keep his godly reputation intact. So he desperately tries to do so and fails, and eventually he comes up with a plan to have Bathsheba's husband bumped off and killed. And it seems as though he's got away with it. It's months later now. It's uh, David and Bathsheba have married, but the child has been born. And it's the end of chapter 11 of 2 Samuel. We read, the thing David had done displeased the Lord. Now we're going to hear what happens next. Caroline's going to come and read. It's 2 Samuel chapter 12. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because by doing this you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. This is the word of the Lord. 
This is the word of the Lord, and it describes some horrific events, which took place probably over almost a whole year. There's David's violence against Bathsheba, how he saw her and took her, slept with her and sent her back, exploited her. There's the murder of Uriah, the chilling ruthlessness of David, the lies, the cover-up, the manipulation, such dark and disturbing behavior. And tragically, this continues today, especially sex-related violence against women, which is far, far too common and ruins lives and blights communities. And it's as wrong today as it was back then. And if it's part of your story, please speak out. We want to help you. So this story shows the power and destructiveness of sin. And yet, surprisingly, it doesn't end at chapter 11, or even at chapter 12 and verse 12, with Nathan confronting and condemning David. There is even a way back for David. That even after all he's done, he's not beyond God's grace. There is hope for David, and there's hope for us. Maybe you're here tonight, and you've failed morally in a big way. Or maybe it's the accumulation of small sins, the same sins committed again and again and again. And your guilt nags at you, or even it screams at you at times. Maybe it happened years ago, and you still feel guilty tonight. Maybe it saps your energy and your joy, and you feel worthless before the Lord. How could he love me? There's hope for you tonight. Or maybe you don't feel guilty. You've suppressed those feelings, or you've stopped fighting against sin. You're a bit tired or or too comfortable, and you've settled for a mediocre Christian faith. And you know there's more, but it's, it's too costly. It's too difficult to change. There's help for you tonight. We're going to read together Psalm 51. It'll appear on the screens, but if you want to find it in your Bible, it's on page 573. And it was written when Nathan the prophet came to David after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. And it was written not simply to tell us what David felt and what he did, but it is a guide for us, a path for us to enable us to sing and to pray when sin is not out there, but it's in that here's what we need to know about ourselves and about our God, how he sees sin and how he deals with it, so that we can experience hope and help tonight. So I'll read the odd verses, and if you join in with the even verses. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. 
for I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. You are right in your verdict, and justify when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. You give joy and gladness. Bones you have crushed for Jesus. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, so, so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God, my Saviour. My tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. Do not delight in sacrifice, or I will pay it. Do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered holy. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Amen. Well, as we move through the psalm, it enables us to recognize your sin, receive God's mercy, and rejoice in God's salvation. So first up, recognize your sin. Do you hear the intensity in those opening verses? Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Why? Verse 3, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. That's a hard sentence to say. To know is to acknowledge, to own, and David here is taking full responsibility for his sin. It's his but five times in those first three verses, he says, my. There's no more cover-up, no more blame-shifting, no more excuses. He takes responsibility for his sin. He has missed the mark. He has fallen short of God's standards. He's failed in a whole host of different ways through his own deliberate fault. And so do we. It's what we do when we confess our sins. Lord, I lost my temper with her. I lied to him. I despised her in my heart. And for his iniquity, that means deviation. Do we know the right path that we should take? 
but we veer off in a different direction. We go astray because we want to. We enjoy our sin. It suits us. And so we exaggerate and inflate our expenses claims and justify our speeding. And we may want to do the right thing, but we can't keep it up. And so we go back to that website. We give in to our greed and we buy more. We lash out. And his transgressions, his willful defiance of God and rebellion against him. It's my life. It's my rules. It's my way. I'll do what I want. David recognizes his sin as his sin. And so must we. There it is. Committed by Glenn. Committed by me. Come on, Glenn. Like, I know I could have put it better, but she's too sensitive. Is it really wrong? Like, other people would have a different opinion about it. But it feels okay. How can it be wrong? Glenn, you would have done the same thing if you had been in my shoes. Like, I couldn't do it any other way. Don't deny it, or suppress it, or minimize it. Admit it. Take responsibility. And recognize your sin is against God. Verse 4. Against you, you only have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight. Now it's a strange verse, because David has sinned against Bathsheba, Uriah, Joab, in a sense, the nation, and he seems to have got away with it until Nathan comes and confronts him. But now David has a deeper understanding of sin, that under every sin, there's a sin against God, that some of them may be horizontal, but they're all vertical. That David hasn't simply broken God's law. As Nathan said to him, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord. That in assailing Bathsheba, he sinned against the one in whose image she was made. This is personal. That the root of roots of all of our sins lie in the fact that I don't love God, I don't trust the Lord, and I despise him. That how I treat others or the world goes back to how I view their creator. And David's actions were evil in God's sight. And the perfectly moral, holy God has the right to judge him and us for how we have treated him and who can stand. And then David goes further in verse 5. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Now he's not saying his mama sinned. He's saying, what I did wasn't a once-off. This isn't a, I don't know what came over me moment. This is in character with who I am. 
I'm not just a sinner, I'm sinful. I have here a bottle of water. If I take the lid off and shake it over the front rows, I'm not going to do that because the welcome team are, are keen for you to come and sit towards the front and have asked that the preacher doesn't sort of spray the front rows and pick you off. But imagine I did. I'm not Pete, I'm not. Why did the water come out of the bottle? Well, you would answer, you know, because you shook it and threw it all over the front rows. And in that sense, you'd be right. But there's another correct answer for why the water came out of the bottle. Because the water was in the bottle in the first place that if there's no water in the bottle, I can shake it all I want, but it'll not come out. And if we were to ask David, why did you do it? Well, he might say, she was a beautiful woman, and I'm an alpha male. Or I was tired and under pressure. Or it's my culture. Or my dad didn't love me enough. My mum loved me too much. It's like me shaking my hand so the water comes out. But David's more honest answer, I took Bathsheba because there's violence in my heart. I murdered because I love myself more than others. I covered up because I'm proud in my heart. Evil came out because there was evil inside me. This isn't out of character. And for us, that defensive hostility, those cutting words, that lack of generosity, where does it come from? In here. We're sinful. Now, thankfully, God in his grace restrains our sin so that we're, we don't give full vent to it. But don't think David was such a wicked man, I could never do that. We all have water in the bottle. We're all sinful beings. And some of us tonight feel the weight of that. That your sin, your guilt is always before you. There's hope. And perhaps for some of us we feel that weight less. We say sorry to God, but it's quick and it's superficial. Or perhaps we've said sorry so often for our sins that we don't bother anymore. You've just given up. But here are words to help us, to help us to be honest with ourselves and with God. That as we pray then, may they help us recognize our sin for what it really is. And as we pray then, may they help us to receive God's mercy. Because David pleads with God for a deep claim. Because that's exactly what he needs. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Blot out. Wipe away. Like when you're doing the washing up and you clean the dirty plates, Sin leaves a mark on us that God sees, and he wipes it away. 
wash away all my iniquity. You got a stain on your skirt or grime on your shirt and you throw it into the washing machine. But this is more than just getting rid of it. This is God cleaning every fiber, every last trace of sin. And cleanse me from my sin. Or verse 7, cleanse me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Now hyssop is a plant and the best that I could do is, to, is, a, is a paintbrush. Because in the Old Testament, if you were a leper and you had been healed, before you rejoined society, you offered a sacrifice and the priest used the hyssop and he sprinkled the blood on you and he announced, you are clean. Or if you've been in contact with a dead body, again, a sacrifice was made and the water of cleansing was applied to you with a hyssop plant so that you were purified from your sin and you were made clean. And David cries out, cleanse me, Lord, of all my filth and dirt and sin. Make me acceptable in your sight. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Like, isn't that a beautiful image? of clean, crisp, pure snow. And when the sun shines on it, it, it reflects it back. It's bright. And that's what God gives us. God's mercy is so deep. There's no sin, big or small, one-off or habitual, that God cannot and will not blot out, wash away, cleanse. And David wants more because he knows God's mercy is more. Verse 10, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Restore to me, verse 12, the joy of my salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. But sin robs us of our joy. You know, just as we might put some water on a fire to dampen it down, so sin quenches the spirit's fire. We lose vitality and energy and joy and that's not what we think will happen. That when we're tempted, sin promises us, I will make you happy. I will make you content. You'll really be living life when you go this way. And now David tells us the truth. He prays, you're the creator, God. Transform me from the inside out. I want to be a new person. Renew my heart. I want to obey me. Make me willing to do that. Give me a steadfast spirit so that I keep obeying you. And Lord, I love knowing you. Your salvation thrilled me. It's gone, but give me back your joy. And this is a prayer that God loves to hear and answer. But as we receive his mercy, he turns his face towards us and he delights in us and we can delight in him. We don't just hear about God's mercy. We experience it deep within us. His Holy Spirit changes us, energizes us, thrills us. So ask, Lord, cleanse me. Change me. And so rejoice in God's salvation. 
David was a leader of God's people. And now he wants others to know, not just the destructiveness of sin, but of the depths of God's mercy. Verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, so that sinners will turn back to you. Your tongue will, my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. This is what a remarkable turnaround. The mouth that demanded and condemned and lied is now praising God. But then, David had a remarkable God. Verse 1, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Is David trying it on? No. He knows God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and mercy. He knows he doesn't deserve mercy, but he knows God will give it. He recognizes his sin is horrific because of who God is, but he also knows that because of who God is, he can be forgiven and cleansed and changed, that God is willing and able to do And so he says to every reader and singer and prayer of Psalm 51, are you a sinner like me? Then turn back to God like me. He rejoices in God's salvation. He wants you to know about it too and to share in it too so that you overflow with delight in God. But don't just take David's word for it. The ultimate David, the Lord Jesus Christ, sang this psalm for us so we can sing in his choir. Listen to these words from Hebrews 4. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus never sang Psalm 51 He was sinless. He never sinned. But he has unfailing love and great compassion for sinners. In fact, he was called the friend of sinners. And he sympathizes with our weaknesses. He was tempted like us. And yet, unlike us, he didn't give in. So he knows how powerful and appealing and enticing sin is. And he's now ascended into heaven. And he's not some distant, aloof God. He's there because when he was on earth, he so identified with sinners that he was baptized like one of them. That on the cross where he died, he died there to deal with God's anger because he bore on himself the sin and the guilt of David and of all of his people, no matter what that is. And tonight he has the authority to forgive us And he has the power to cleanse and to change us when we confess our sins to him. And he says to us, come. 
draw near to God's throne of grace with confidence so that you may receive mercy and find grace to help you in your time of need. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done or what you haven't done. Come. Let me convict you of your sins so that you recognize it. Let me direct you to my mercy so that you receive it. Let me open your lips so that you can rejoice in your salvation. Come. So Psalm 51 is our guide, our path to give us hope and to give us help. To use it to confess our sins and to receive God's mercy. And that's what we're going to do now. Pete's going to lead us in a confession based on this psalm. But before then, let's take some time on our own. Reflect on what the psalm is saying on our sin, on our Savior. And then we'll pray together. and make David's prayer our prayer. There's some words on the screen. Join in the response. David had great awareness of his own sinfulness, but great, great confidence in God's unfailing love and great compassion. May that be true of us as we together pray. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, Broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. O God, in your unfailing love, have mercy on us. We know our transgressions, and our sin is ever before us. Against you only have we sinned and done what is evil in your sight. O God, in your unfailing love, have mercy on us. According to your great compassion, blot out our transgressions. Wash away all our iniquity and cleanse us from our sin. God, in your unfailing love, have mercy on us. Cleanse us, and we shall be clean. Wash us, and we shall be whiter than snow. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We thank you, Father, for that amazing promise that you do graciously cleanse us. Thank you that as 
through Nathan the prophet, you gave your word of promise to David. Well, so to us, you have said that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We thank you for the wonderful reality of your forgiveness. Please help us to grasp it more, to rejoice in it more. In Jesus' sake.